So we are in Romans 7. Um, so Romans 6 was, was, we're really getting into some meat of, of Scripture when it, when it comes to the idea of salvation by grace through faith. If, if we just stick to Romans and stick to uh, companion verses, we don't get off track. And all scripture has to be brought together. I, I heard a little uh, devotional from a pastor who's becoming very, very um, well known. He's actually growing um, very rapidly. And he was doing a lesson on John fourteen six that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And he says people misteach that as Jesus being the only way to heaven. That's not what he's saying there. He's saying that he is, uh, that if you follow the, the principles of Jesus, whatever religion you are, in fact, you don't even have to be religious. You don't even have to be a Christian. You just have to love your neighbor like Jesus did, and that's the way to God. And that's what he's saying in that verse. So it's really important that as we go through these verses, that we let the verses speak for themselves. Um, and so we talked last week about this idea of being justified by grace and how we are dead to our old nature. The old man is crucified and we are raised to walk in newness of life. Chapter 7 starts with, Do you not know, brethren, in Romans 7, I speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So this is going to be a chapter on the law. And what is the law? Well, the law are the, the, the writings of Moses, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the law really is uh, everything that God says is right is right, and everything that God says is wrong is wrong. It's the, we call some things the laws of nature, but they're actually the laws of God. The laws of God are if you have the Son, Jesus, you have life. If you have not the Son, you have not life. That is a spiritual law which is actually greater than any scientific law. It's just the same as gravity. And we study the laws of, of science. Well, the laws of God are just as valid and just as real and just as complete. And so the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. And so in whether people see this, admit it, or confess it or not, every human being is uh, under the um, dominion of the law. So every single human being is created in the image of God. That's in Genesis. So therefore, under the rules of our Creator, if you do not have your sins taken care of by the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the law becomes the determining factor of whether or not you get to go to heaven or not. And the law teaches us that every single human being apart from Christ is guilty. The law makes us guilty. And it has dominion in the final say. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. It says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband. 
as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she marry another. So God uses marriage as an illustration of our relationship with the law. Now the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now that's actually a quote from Genesis. That marriage is the idea of two human beings, male and female, coming together, becoming one flesh. And verse 32 of Ephesians 5 says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the church is the bride. Jesus Christ is the head or the groom. And so Jesus Christ is the head of the body or the head in this marriage between the church and Christ. And our earthly marriages are supposed to model that. They're supposed to look like that. And they're living illustrations. So this mystery of how these two people become one flesh is a spiritual picture of what Christ has done for us. So in the physical marriage, God considers it adultery if a woman was to leave her husband and remarry, she would be considered an adulteress. However, if the husband died and she's widowed, then she has a right to go ahead and remarry. We're not going to go delve deeply into this subject of divorce and marriage tonight because we don't want to lose track of what the chapter is really talking about, which is the law. So look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you will be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So if you remember Romans 6, when it spoke of being dead to sin, that your old man was crucified. Hi guys, we're in Romans 7. In this picture and illustration of marriage and divorce, if a wife or a husband was to leave their spouse, they are still considered married in the eyes of God. But if you are widowed, then you are considered to be free from that law of marriage. In the spiritual realm, when you became a Christian, you are not divorced from the law. The law is now has no hold over you, no dominion over you. You're no longer under that concept of salvation by works. That held you in slavery for years and years. You were, whether you believed it or not, you, every human being is being held to the standards of God. For all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. So therefore the glory of God is the standard. If you can live like God and be like God, you can just walk straight into heaven. But what's the problem? 
the law shows us that it's not possible. So therefore, we can't just separate ourselves from our old nature, from our old person. We have to completely widow ourselves from it. That old man has to be dead. Once that old man is dead, then we can now, this is the beautiful part of it, we are now qualified under the laws of God to become the bride of Jesus Christ. He becomes our new husband, our new head, our new dominion. The law and sin does not have any dominion over us anymore, but now Christ does. And it's a beautiful picture. Uh, and, and I, this struck me about two years ago, uh, uh, actually listening to a lesson on Romans, and it just struck me when this, this person was talking. It was actually Pastor Garrett doing a lesson on it. And uh, it just struck me that, that I, I don't want my old nature, my old self, the law to still be around for me to go back and have coffee with, for me to go back and renew that relationship. I want to be completely free from that. So that brings us to verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law. We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So what does it mean to live by the letter? Well, if you live by the letter of the law, you know, there are places in our Christian walk for grace and mercy. And there's places in our Christian walk for the letter of the law. I tend to, to always lean towards grace and mercy. I'm not a super strict uh, person, although uh, there are certain things that we as Christians ought not to do. And we shouldn't do them. And we don't do them. And there are certain things as Christians we should do. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't label myself legalistic. But I would label myself one who wants to obey the, uh, the uh, precepts of God. Does that make sense to everybody? We want to obey God. We want to do the right thing. We want to live. But, but we are not. If I stumble, we read that verse this morning that when we stumble, God picks us up. When we stumble, there's grace and mercy. Where sin abounds, what? Grace more abounds. So does that mean the law is bad? No, absolutely not. But the law, when it talks about not having dominion over you, is our salvation is no longer dependent on us keeping the law. The law has been, uh, got victory over when we gave our lives to Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? And that's what it's saying. Now we voluntarily as bond servants place ourselves under this law. Look at five and six again. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So we're going to talk a little bit about how the law actually, instead of keeping us from sinning, it actually 
prompts us sometimes to sin. And that's in these next few verses. So our first point tonight is this. That through a relationship with Christ, we are now widowed from the law. That old life is dead. The dominion that the law had over us is dead. And we are now free to unite with Christ as his bride because we have completely widowed ourselves from the old nature and from the law. Does that make sense to everybody? It's really a beautiful picture. It's so beautiful that I have it here and it really blesses me, but it never comes out here the way it is up in here. It's a real blessing when you see it, that, that the reason why we can unite with Christ is because our old man is actually dead in the eyes of God. It's so beautiful. So then it brings us to verse 7. What shall we say then? You notice Paul does this a lot in this writing. He teaches these really deep teachings, and then he knows the questions he's going to get. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? So does that mean the law is a bad thing because we want to stay away from it? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. That's the second point. We would not have known sin if not for the law. One question I get a lot from um, junior hires is the question of why did God put the tree in the garden in the first place? If he didn't put the tree in there, then they never would have sinned. Well, what was the name of the tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in the name of the tree answers that question. It's very important for us to know that we are sinful. It's very important. Why? Because we have to die daily. We have to die daily. What, what's our only way of salvation? Through Jesus Christ. And if we confess with our mouth that he's Lord and believe in our heart he's risen from the dead, we'll be saved. But it's very important if we don't think we're sinners, and this is really what's happening in our country today and in the world today, is, is what is evil is being called good. And we are taking everything that is supposed to bring us shame and we are making it mainstream and okay. Well, if there's no such thing as sin anymore, and you can just do whatever you want and live however you want, you can walk into a store and just bash the, the case and take jewelry because no one's going to stop you. Or you can become any gender you want to be or marry whatever you want to marry because nothing is sinful. Then how is a person ever going to need to turn to Christ? The Bible says that men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are what? evil and when we start calling what is good evil and what is evil good then it's almost impossible to share with a person their need for Christ what we do have when the law is working is we have a multitude of people that are ashamed of their flesh and when we offer the ability to have that shame forgiven and their sins washed away. What a gift. What a lesson. What a story. That's why it's called good news. That while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. 
But now, if we preachers all around eliminating sin, no, God loves you just how you are, just come, you don't have to change at all, God loves you right where you're at, that's not the gospel. Yeah, God will meet you where you are. In fact, we always get this one, and this is one that drives me crazy. Well, Jesus ate with prostitutes and sinners. He absolutely did. Why does Jesus say he ate with them? Because he said his words, the sick need a doctor. The well don't need a doctor. While Jesus loved them and tried to reach them, he called them sick. So when we say that we love the transgenders or we love these people, we love homosexuals or we love those that are in sin or those that are in jail or those that are thieves or those that are adulterers, we love them, but they're mired in sickness and they need a savior. It doesn't help us when we take the sickness and make it normal. The tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil because up to the point when they walked naked and unashamed, they had no knowledge of evil. They just had knowledge of good. They had no idea what they were capable of. And mankind is so capable of sin that in one generation they went from eating a forbidden fruit to killing their brother. That's how rapidly sin uh, grows. And it's important for us as a human race to understand that we are reprobate. It's, un, it's very important that we understand that within our flesh dwells no good thing. If we come to that knowledge and yet the gospel's been changing in this kind of secret sensitive, everybody come, everybody's fine, you're not a sinner, you're good, you're good. That's not the truth of the scripture. The truth is that we're all sinners. It's not that, well, we're born good people, and then because of culture and society and racism and everything else, we become evil. It's not how it works in the Bible. We are born sinful. We are born in our trespasses. And that will bear itself out before your life is done. You will start, and it usually starts pretty early when you start throwing your peas across the room because as a little baby, you don't want the peas. You want the banana pudding. And when you don't get the banana pudding, you take the peas and you throw them across the room. Why? Because we're all sinners. And this points it out. Look at these next verses. They're really interesting. He says, On the contrary, verse 7, I would not have known sin except for the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment was to bring life, I found brought death. Sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. So notice these verses. He was doing okay till the law said not to covet. As soon as the law said not to covet, what did he want to do? He wanted to covet. They could have any tree in the garden they wanted. But once Satan pointed out the one tree they couldn't have, 
It actually drew them to eating it. We can prove this point. You can walk down the road and walk by house after house after house until you get to a house that has a sign that says, please don't walk on the grass. And what's your first inclination? You want to walk on the grass. What's wrong with us? We didn't think about walking on anybody's grass until they put a sign there that said, don't walk on it. And we thought, don't tell me not to walk on the grass. I read this story. It's a true story about a hotel in Miami, Florida. And this hotel had balconies that overlooked this little um, lake. And they put on every single balcony a big sign that says, please do not fish off the pier. And the hotel had tremendous problem with people fishing off the pier. And it was very dangerous because you don't want hooks going down to the lower balcony. And they just didn't, but they couldn't get people to stop doing it. And so they called in an expert to, to find out what to do. And the expert said this. What do you think he told them to do? Take the signs down. And they said, what? I'm, we, they'll just keep, no. The only reason they're fishing off the pier is because they see the sign. They don't even think about fishing off the pier until you say you don't fish off the pier. And they go, oh, I never thought about that. So they took all the signs down. And guess what happened? People stopped fishing off the pier. So the law, while it is holy and good, what it does, it actually stirs the evil in us. But it's important for us to know that evil. It's important us to know that this tree of knowledge of good and evil, because then we know that we must turn to God as the only way of salvation, because we are wretched. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me verse 13 says what then has has then what is good become death to me certainly not but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that the sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful for we know that the law is spiritual but i am carnal sold under sin if you don't mind if you turn to Galatians chapter 3 this explains it much clearer and we'll look at verse 23 but before faith came we were kept under guard by the law kept for faith which would afterward be revealed Therefore, Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the law had a specific purpose. God said, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. And even as Christians... We know what's right and wrong, and yet we stumble, and we fall, and we come face to face in the mirror with sinners. And that drives us to Christ. It drives us to Christ. Now he's speaking here specifically in Romans, as this church is just beginning, to christian jews and christian others that want to go back to the law 
And he's trying to explain to them the law has already had its purpose. In Galatians, it starts off where, where are you so quickly to go back to where you were? We are delivered from the law. Now we live under grace. We live under freedom. It doesn't mean we can just willy-nilly go and do whatever we want to do. But it is the idea that the law no longer will determine our eternal destiny. Praise the Lord. Because the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So that's point two. Point number one was we are completely widowed from the law. Point number two, the law has a very specific purpose, and that is to show us that we're sinners. And we as Christians cannot compromise what the Bible says. The law is good. Thou shalt not steal, we shouldn't steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Even though we in our flesh are driven to some of those things, we want to take our lives and, and place it under the obedience to Christ. And we have to be careful of this new teaching that God is a God of grace so you can do whatever you want. That's not the gospel. That's not the truth. Third thing is verse 15 through 25. And this is even though we are not under the dominion and, and wages of the law anymore, we will not die. We have eternal life. Whoever believes in me will never die. While the law no longer will determine your eternity, the flesh is still among you. That old sinful person that was headed to hell is dead and crucified. But the flesh is still going to be a struggle, which he says in verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. So Paul is fully confessing that the law convinces him that he's a sinner. That even the Apostle Paul, that man we met today, struggles with the flesh. And, and the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. I always explain it this way. Some of the things we become addicted to are the things that are really bad for our health. Alcohol and drugs, pornography and other things. You know, we don't get addicted to broccoli you know, we don't get addicted to those kind of things, the things that we're supposed to. We have to eat our vegetables, you know, force ourselves to eat our vegetable. But, you know, um, we had a box of donuts yesterday at uh, Nineveh, and it was over here all night, and I'm across the street from a box of donuts. If there was a box of broccoli back there, I wouldn't have thought about walking across the street. But I'm looking across the street, and I just know longing for those <laughs> donuts. So I just brought some home anyway. But, but I do. I crave donuts. I, I crave a cold Pepsi. None of those things are good for me. None of those things. It's, isn't it interesting how our body works? And Paul says this. Things I don't want to do, I do. Is there an encouragement in that verse at all to us? The encouragement is what? He was a pretty great guy. And God used him to do great things. That really gives us a little bit of a breath. It doesn't give us excuse now to just go do whatever we want, 
but it is okay everybody struggles and I would really encourage you to be honest with your struggle we struggle verse 16 if then I do what I will not to do I agree that the law is good so the question is is the law good or bad well the Bible says thou shalt not lie have you ever told a lie do you feel bad when you lie if you feel bad when you lie then you are actually confessing and admitting the law is good and you are not do you see how that works so just the fact that as a Holy Spirit filled uh, follower of Jesus even though you don't have to keep these laws anymore to go to heaven because your sins are washed away you have a desire the Bible says add to your faith virtue you have a a virtuous uh, personality now where I, I hate sin I hate it and and I cannot wait for my glorified body and I you know somebody asked me talked to me about are we gonna know each other in heaven and according to the Bible, it looks like we're going to, but I don't know how you're going to recognize me because I'm not going to be sinful in heaven. So I'm going to be completely different. I don't know how you're ever going to, you know, I remember that guy used to whine and cry and lose his temper, and he seems a lot nicer. Yeah, I'll be a lot nicer. I'll be a lot nicer. Verse 17, But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So Paul makes it his mission that there's a sin dwelling in him. I know that in me, that is my flesh, verse 18, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. That is such an important verse. In our flesh, which is why we don't want to be carnal we have to be careful we have to guard ourselves from where our eyes you know that old song we used to sing when you were little kids be careful little eyes what you see here because the father up above is looking down with love that kind of thing it's still true today we must be careful and this is why our government ha has worked in the early parts of our country so well because it was a government of checks and balances and the reason why we had a government of checks and balances is because our government was built on the premise that we're all sinners and that we don't want too much power in the hands of, of human beings because they tend to get carried away with it. So we had checks and balances. If you actually, there's a, a chapter in Isaiah that deals with three parts of government like we have. And it was kind of taken from that. So that the court and the executive uh, branch and all these branches are checking each other to make sure not one person can do what the king did when they came to America, which was uh, determine what religion they were all going to be. They didn't want that. So this idea of recognizing that we are all sinful is very important. But I really like the next verse. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. Notice how many times he desires to do good. I want to do good. I want to do good. And I, I don't ask you to do this very often. But if, if, if you sometimes get sick and tired of that old flesh, you just say amen. 
Amen, don't we? We just get... You love God. I know you do. It's a Sunday night crowd. And you're here because you have a hunger for the word. And the more you want to please God, the more frustrated you can get with that old flesh. Verse 21. I find a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So I think people have me backwards. I really believe that. I think sometimes people look at a pastor as being all holy on the outside, but inside you're really bad. That's not how I am. On the outside, I'm not very perfect. But my deep inner man wants so desperately to please God, I can't even tell you. And you may think that's preaching rhetoric. You may just think I'm just uh, trying to preach a glorious sermon by saying that. But I'm, I, it is so true. My only desire is to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I have no idea whether I'm going to hear that or not. But it's all I really care about. Um, so it's not... This idea, oh, Christians, you're all goody on the outside, but inside, you're we just like the rest of us. No, that's not what we're saying to you. We are saying, yes, we are just like the rest of you in our flesh. But there's a deep spiritual inner person in us, the Holy Spirit, that we have such a desire to please God, such a desire for God to, to say well done to us. And that's how Paul is. That's why he's so frustrated with his activities and actions. And I know that you feel the same way. I delight in the law according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is in my members. So I want you to look at verse 23 very carefully. And I want you to look at where Paul says the sin is and where God says the goodness is. In verse 23, I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So that is an absolute war between his mind and his flesh. And this is very important. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our Mind. The Bible says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. We cannot allow ourselves, and, and I won't apologize for this, but we have not allowed ourselves to get too emotional in our church services. Not that emotion isn't good. If you feel the Spirit, you feel God's presence. Um, but the word is the word. We have to serve God with the law of our minds. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And right now, if we are just living completely by our feelings and emotions, again, there's nothing wrong with emotion. There's nothing wrong with raising your hands and praising the Lord. There's nothing wrong with crying when a song is sung. There's nothing wrong with emotion as long as it's spirit and in truth. Do you know what I mean? All right. But what we have done is we have created these 
super over emotional in, in place of the word. And we think because we play music for 45 minutes and everybody cries, that that is drawing closer to God. And we don't draw closer to God in the flesh. The Bible says they that worship me was worship me in what two ways? Spirit and in truth. Well, what is the opposite of truth? A lie. And what's the opposite of the spirit? It is the flesh. And so if you are emotionally with God over here in music, but then you don't obey him in his word, then you are not worshiping in truth. Does that make sense to everybody? We have to really guard ourselves. Paul says, very importantly, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, look at this is a victorious, it sounds kind of negative. Oh, this flesh, and things I don't want to do, I do. Things I want to do, I don't do. This flesh is no good. The inner man wants to serve God, but the flesh, oh, this, I just, there's a, there's a war going in from my members, my feelings that want to do this and what I know to do. I know I'm not supposed to walk on the grass, so why does my flesh want to walk on the grass? And so do I walk on the grass? No. Why don't I walk on the grass? Because it would be a wrong thing to do. I know I'm not supposed to. And I would say that 10 out of 10 times I don't walk on the grass anymore. In my teens I certainly did. <laughs> Maybe even in my 20s. <laughs> but now that I'm 62, eh, I don't need to walk on anybody's grass anymore. I want to, but I don't. Why? Look at verse 25. Because through Jesus Christ, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. There was an old thing in old movies. I forget what movie it was from. I don't know why I know this, but it was like uh, the line in the movie was, you know, my, my mind says no, 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 but my heart says yes, yes, yes. And it's not an accident that practically every Disney movie, show, or commercial is about following your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Paul says, no, I have to serve God with the law of my what? Mind. And even though it says don't covet, I want to covet. So I'm either going to covet because my flesh wants to, or I'm going to say, no, I know I'm not supposed to. So to serve life with my feelings, it is, hey, you're going to tell me not to walk on the grass? You tell me not to walk on the grass. I'll walk on your grass if I want to walk on the grass. But no, we know God says, you know, be kind to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if I put a sign not to walk on my grass, it would really make me mad if people walked on my grass. So I know I'm not supposed to do what? Walk on the grass. That's the law. Three points. You are qualified by God to unite with him through his son, the bride of Christ, the church, because the law is now dead as far as the dominion it had over us. We're not divorced from the law. We are dead from it. Number two, that the law will always 
reveal your wretchedness and, and drive you to Christ. And even though that you are no longer under the dominion and, and, and death of the law, the flesh is still there. And you've got to get in your word and we've got to serve God with the law of our mind. And that's why we want to be careful that we don't get too away from the word of God and preaching verse by verse when we're in churches. It's very important that the word of God is being preached so that the minds of our young people are being filled with truth. Make sense? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this chapter. It's quite immense. There's so many uh, deep truths in it that, Lord, none of us are really qualified to teach it. Lord, help us to go home like the Bereans did, read it over and over again, uh, read a commentary from people we trust, and really grasp the depth of this incredible truth of the battle between the law and the flesh and the sin and the flesh. Lord, let us be victorious tonight in Jesus' name.